Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. How are we, church? Good. She's out of breath because I told her this morning, uh, it's going to take a miracle for us to get out on time with how much I have to cover, but we are going to try and listen. I know that I talk fast and I'm working on it. So bear with me, please, would you? Yeah. Um, before I jump into the message, just want to share with you a little bit of good news and bad news. So which one do you want first? Everyone always wants the bad news first because then it makes the good news seem better. So the bad news is next week we are going to be doing church at home. Uh, the good news is that the reason why we're doing this is because when we started this construction process, we knew that we were going to lose access to the balcony for one week, but we didn't know that that week was also going to coordinate with the week that they were taking out and replacing all of our light fixtures in this room. So next weekend, we are looking at uh, a situation where we won't have any balcony access and we won't have, we don't know what control we'll have, if any, over the light fixtures in this room. And so that is just kind of a recipe for disaster. Uh, there are a few other reasons, uh, namely getting all these chairs out. And in, I don't know if you saw that on Instagram, but we get every single one of these chairs out and back into place every single week at this point. And so we are going to uh, just do church at home next week because we don't know what exactly this space is going to look like. It is a holiday weekend as is. And so the good news is you're going to come back in two weeks and we are going to have a lot of the things done. We're going to have new projectors, new lights. Um, the new railing will be installed. A lot of the things that you have invested in through the Here to Stay uh, offering are going to be done in this room. And so that is a super exciting thing. The progress has been amazing so far, but we're going to have all new lights in here, a whole new banister, uh, new screens that you'll actually, you'll actually be able to see. We, this, believe it or not, this is not our long-term solution, you know? Like there are going to be new screens, new projectors, and it's going to be great. So uh, bear with us as we're under a little construction. We will send out a church at home, but I just want to lovingly let you know, uh, don't come here next week. Church is at your house next week. Okay, church is at your house, and uh, you, could even, you could even invite some people over. If you've got a small group, if you don't have a small group yet, but you just have some friends or people in your row that look nice, you could just say, hey, let's do church together at my house next weekend. Amen? Amen. 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 Uh, we will blast all those reminders out and we will send you, we will do a sermon. We're going to continue in our series next weekend. So just keep an eye on your inbox. If you don't have emails that you receive from us, just like Robin said, you got to get signed up on the app or through the website so you can get subscribed on our list. And that way we can deliver everything to you. Cool? Super cool, they said. That's how I'll journal it in my diary. Um, I don't have a diary. I don't know why I said that. We are continuing in this series uh, in Exodus. Uh, if you're new, if you're just jumping in this morning, Exodus is the second book in your Bible as you open it up. And it is the second part of a story that God is writing mainly through this new nation that he's calling and creating called Israel. Israel, when we pick up the story today, they are still in bondage and in captivity. But today is the day where they are dramatically rescued out of Egypt. Last week, I thought John did a great job preaching us through the first nine plagues. And today we are going to see God answer Pharaoh in his request to say, who is this God that I should obey him? And God is going to answer that question today. He is going to fulfill the promise that says, if you are going to inflict pain and injury on my firstborn son, God speaking of the nation Israel, then I will cause harm to your firstborn son. And so this is sometimes, it can be a difficult text to process, but we are going to read through several chapters of scripture because there are no, there's no better place in the Old Testament where we see mirrored for us in the New Testament with the cross of Jesus Christ, the blood of the Passover lamb, we get to see the picture of our salvation. 
and everything that is purchased for it, for us in it. And so if you would open on up with me to Exodus chapter 11. Exodus chapter 11 is where we're going to start today. Exodus 11, uh, starting in verse four, we're going to read through verse six. If you don't have your Bible with you, it's, it's, we always put it up on the screen, uh, but it's also in your version app if you want to read along there. Um, so we're going to read in chapter uh, 11, starting in verse four. So Moses said, thus says the Lord, about midnight, I will go out in the midst of Egypt and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn cattle, there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been nor ever will be again. And so what I have to have you see in this part of the scripture is that I think we think of the final plague being pronounced over, over um, Egypt specifically, but it's over the land of Egypt, including Israel. Any firstborn son that is in the land is going to be subject to this pronouncement of judgment, the death of the firstborn son. And so this is the the heaviness that has to sit on us this morning is this is the penalty that is due all of us. All of us have sinned. We see this in Romans 6.23 and in Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fallen short of God's standard. That word sin there is literally the word to miss the mark. If we were aiming at something, if God gave us a target to shoot at, all of us have missed. Every single person in this room has sinned, will sin, has done something in the past that they regret, is bringing some sort of shame in their story into this room today. We've all missed it. We've all sinned. And that sin is not just a mistake. It's not just a little whoopsie. We have literally participated in rebellion against God's good, right, perfect order that he has put out in his creation. And we've seen him and we said, nope, I think I can do this better on my own. And we've turned from him and we've chosen to pursue our own path. And that would be one thing because sin always is going to bring forth destruction. But it's another thing when you start to realize that the wages of sin, the cost of our sin, isn't just a bad day. Isn't just my business might fail. Isn't just my marriage might fail. Those are all consequences of sin. Those can all be consequences of sin. And there's way more consequences of sin that we cover. But the primary consequence of sin is death. It is death. It is separation from the source of life himself, God. And as we are separated from him, as we are alienated from him, we are only going to live in our death. This is the cost. This is the payment for our sin. And this would be really bad news if what we're talking, if what we were talking about today wasn't also the offer out. Because as God pronounces this judgment, pronounces this judgment, he also gives us an invitation from out from under it. And so we read here in Exodus 12, five through seven, he says, what you're going to do is you're going to bring a lamb into your household on the 10th day of the first month. God actually says to Israel, he's like, you're going to rearrange your calendar so that this month from now on is going to be the first month of your year. You think about that. All of time is about to be reframed for Israel around this event. This is the beginning. This is the start. And he says, you're going to take this lamb. You're going to bring it into your house on the 10th day. And he says, your lamb shall be without blemish in Exodus 12, verse five. A male, a year old, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month. How many of you, like, can you feel what this would be like in your own home? I, I, listen, I have a three-year-old, a seven-year-old and a nine-year-old. If I brought into my house, this little yearling lamb, and I, I almost thought about just trying to bring one on stage today bring this little goat to this little lamb, this little baby, and just you hold it. And what's going to happen with your kids in the house? 
they're going to fall in love with that thing, aren't they? It's going to be so cute and it's going to be adorable and it's going to live with you for four days. You can't tell me there's some attachment that's going to be happening with this little baby lamb. You can't, you can't tell me that they're not going to understand the cost of sin in a whole different way than we do. Because as they bring this lamb in, it says you're going to bring it in on the 14th day of the month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lentil of their houses in which they eat it. Can you feel what this would be like to be Israel? To understand that there's this pronouncement of judgment that every firstborn in every home in the land of Egypt is going to die. Except if you bring this lamb into your house and if you take this lamb and it has to be blemish free, spotless, perfect, you take this perfectly good lamb and you bring it into your home and you, and you live with it for a little bit. You start to fall in love and understand that this lamb is actually going to pay the cost so that you can be spared. Now, okay, uh, Sunday school answer right here. This is the freebie. Even if you're a guest this morning, even if you don't know who Jesus is, here's the freebie. Who does that lamb represent? Jesus. Jesus. If you didn't get it, I, like I tried to set you up as best as I possibly could. <laughs> that was your easiest moment for a holler back in church. The New Testament is going to echo this over and over. The rest of the Bible is going to echo this over and over and over. For Christ, 1 Corinthians 5, 7, the later half, latter half of that verse. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. John, when he sees Jesus coming, he's out in the wilderness doing his wilderness thing, eating his locusts and honey, right? And John the Baptist, he said, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him. And he said, behold, behold. I, just, I always want to draw our attention to that word. Like, like pick it up and look at it, gaze upon it, get lost in the beauty. Behold, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You can't tell me the imagery in this moment for the Jewish people, especially would have, they would have known exactly what, the, what John was talking about. That this is, this is the moment where they say that Passover meal that we've done every single year that we just haven't forgotten about. You're saying, this is him. This person represents so much more than just a good teacher a rabbi, a good person, a philosopher that we should kind of look, look up to or maybe aspire to be like. No, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He takes away the sin of the world. Revelation 5.12, we see it then looking forward as well, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. As we're singing that song this morning, holy, holy, holy. I just, listen, I want to lovingly challenge some of you who aren't singing in church, who aren't engaged during worship. I just, I felt it this morning, just this burden to just invite you in. I don't want to do this out of anger. I don't want to do this out of frustration, but I just want to say in a loving way that if you are not if you're not singing when we're singing words like that, if you're not engaged with worship, and I know worship isn't always singing, okay? It can be sitting down, it can be quiet, it can be reflective, but if you aren't engaging with what's being sang on a Sunday morning and you're standing there spectating, my fear is that your heart is either cold to what God has done for you or that you just maybe have a greater fear of the people around you than you have to be the willingness to engage with what the Lord has done for you. And I just want to lovingly say that May this, not, may this not be the place where that happens. Do you know what I'm saying? As we look at this story, we see that the Passover lamb represents our savior, Jesus. That as Jesus was blemish-free, spotless, perfect, and he sacrificed his life and spilled his blood, and that blood is spread on our, the door frame of our life, 
so that we are no longer seen as guilty, but as innocent. So that we are no longer, like the, the payment, the judgment that is about to befall the land of Egypt no longer lands on us, but it passes us over because of only the spilled blood of the lamb. Listen, it's nothing that you did. It's nothing that you earned. Your righteousness, Isaiah says, is like filthy rags before God. The only thing that qualifies us to stand in his presence this morning or any other morning is the spilled blood of the lamb. That spotless, blemish-free, perfect lamb. And here's, here's what I want to say for just a moment is that this is why the cross will always be the center point of Christianity. Always be the center point of Christianity. Listen, there are some charismatics who want to pretend that Pentecost is the center point of Christianity. It, it is an implication of the cross. I'll, get, I'll absolutely agree with that. Yes, we should pursue more of the Holy Spirit. Yes, we should pursue more of the gifts of the Spirit. If he has that for me, I want it. But it, I do not get any of it without the cross of Jesus. Theology, I'll pick on some of the evangelicals. Theology sometimes can be, become the center point of people's faith. Where they say, I just have to learn more. I have to pursue more. I have to study more. It's all about right theology and right practice. And I want to say, yes, that is an implication of the cross, but it's always going to come back to what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Amen. It is not about social justice being the center point of Christianity. Is, is clothing the poor? Is feeding the hungry? Are those things implications of the cross of Christ? Absolutely. But social justice can never be the center point of our faith. The cross always will be. Always will be. All these other things are important. All of these other things should fit on the Christian platter somewhere, but we aren't handed the plate without Jesus' shed blood being spilled on our behalf. Amen? Amen. So we have this threat of a plague. We have this escape out of it that is offered to Israel. And then what we see is we see death come to Egypt. Exodus 12, 29 says at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night I just can't imagine the, the faith it took to go to bed that night for Israel. You ever thought of that? Like for some reason that just struck me this week that like, man, it probably really took faith just to even go to sleep knowing that this was about to come. And Pharaoh rises up in the night and he and all of his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and he said, up, Go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. But you've got to remember, this is the final plague. This is the culmination of so many things where Pharaoh initially is challenging God. I mean, you've got to go back and listen to last week's message if you're missing what's happening right here. This is a showdown of all of the Egyptian gods, of Pharaoh being a God, calling himself a God himself, and going, okay, who is this Yahweh that I should answer to him? And God's like, I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you. And through this process of him hardening his own heart, God hardening his heart, he says, finally, go, leave, get out of here. I'm done. Or so we think. There's more. We'll get there. He says, as you have said, take your flocks and your herds, as you have said, and be gone and bless me also. 33, 33 says, and the Egyptians were urgent with all the people to send them out of the land in haste. For they said, we shall all be dead. So the people... Uh, took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls 
uh, being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they had asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot. You got to remember, you got to remember the significance of 600,000 men on foot. Because this whole narrative, this whole story, we're not just dropping into like Return of the Jedi here and getting lost about, wait, okay, who is Luke? Do you know what I'm saying? I jumped over to Star Wars there for a minute. If you didn't stay with me, Star Wars fans, you can appreciate that. But it, it's where we're dropping in part two of the story. But if you flash back just a little bit, you remember this guy named Abram and Sarah. And they're given this promise that one day God is going to bless the world through them. The only problem was they were super old. Like they were super old. It was hilarious how old they were, right? That is why Sarah is named how she was. But God says, no, through you, I am going to bless the world. I'm going to make you a great nation. Your descendants are going to outnumber the stars in the sky. And through this lineage, even in the midst of persecution, where the Egyptians were trying as hard as they could to kill them, they kept multiplying and they kept growing. And the danger is if we get to this verse in the story and we just read 600,000 men, like it's just some random statistic, we miss the fact that God is always working his redemptive plan. Don't lose sight of that this morning, church. I don't know what you walked in here with, but God is never ceasing to finish working his redemptive plan. For his church, for you, for me, he is always moving. Maybe you can't see it right now, but he keeps moving. 600,000 people escape, 600,000 men, uh, probably over a million, a half, two million. I mean, there's estimates all over the board, up to 4 million people are leaving Egypt in this moment. I mean, you think about just the, the chaos and the, the lack of organization because they have to leave suddenly. They have to leave in the middle of the night. And some scholars have pointed back to say, no, it can't be like 4 million people because how would you just logistically coordinate the escape of that many people? And I just go, man, you know what? Uh, God does what he wants. God does what he wants. So I don't really care how many millions of people there were or how many hundreds of, hundreds, of, hundreds of thousands of people there were. God did it and he saves them. He pulls them out. He says, a mixed multitude also went up with them and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. Uh, there, there is a piece of this that you have to understand that God gives them uh, ways that they are gonna commemorate this moment. He gives them the Passover meal so that they might continually remember the Passover lamb. And they won't be detached from, even as they move on generationally, even as they move on in time from this moment, the generations would not be separate from this moment that's happening right now. So he has the feast of unleavened bread and he has the Passover meal that is given to the nation of Israel. And I just, I want you to catch the, Doug, can you go to the, the slide with the two passages on it? 1226 and 13.8. In both of these moments, what God is going to do is he's going to create a pattern for Israel so that they won't forget what's just happened. He says in, in verse 26 of chapter 12, he says, And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? Speaking of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, or I'm sorry, of the Passover meal. And you shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. Parents, here's what I just don't want you to miss this morning, is that every time you sit down and have a meal, listen, Katie and I, we, we were just talking about this in the last couple of weeks where we have way too many meals on our hands where we're just, it feels like maybe just like tossing Chick-fil-A waffle fries in the back seat. You know what I mean? And they're just like, go, go, go. But the days that we actually like sit down, and have a meal. We try and do it a few times every single week at the minimum. And we just sit and we talk. Um, 
parents, I'll just say, it is so important that you take time to disciple your kids to tell them the gospel. Amen? It is so much more important for you to take time and open up your life of who God has been to you. And you don't just, you don't just give them Bible facts, but you also share your testimony with them. Because in this moment, God is trying to pull their minds back to, okay, be reminded of the powerful hand that God worked for you back in Egypt. And he comes to this point and he said, man, I just, I don't think as we're all going to sit down on Thursday, we're all going to eat. Hopefully there is some space in that moment for you to tell your kids, praise God, we're even here. Man, do you even know what mom and dad have been through a little bit just to get to this moment? I'm saying like, yes, I love devotionals. I love Bible study with your kids, but don't forget to testify about the things that God has done in your own life to your own kids. That's not just kids' church's job. That's just not the, the, the preschool ministry's job. That is your job, parents, to be testifying all the time about what God has done for you in your life to your children. So we have this moment where, where, where um, there's this dramatic escape in Exodus out of Egypt. That's where, the whole, that's where the whole book gets its name. It's from this moment right here, where all of these millions of people suddenly flee. But God then takes them. He has them go. He's leading them by a pillar of smoke and fire. How, I mean, just, I've said this every time we talked about it. Sign me up. That sounds awesome. And the danger of me even saying that every single week is like some of you are just convinced that if you would just see one miracle and it would be in front of you one time, then that would be the thing that you needed to never doubt again. And I just want to tell you that like Israel proves to us that that's not true. Israel proves to us that's not true. In, in, verse, in chapter 14, what we see is that Pharaoh is all of a sudden, he's having this change of mind. It's like in a moment he wakes up and he sends Israel out. And then he comes to a little bit after he kind of steps back from the grief of losing his firstborn son. And then he just goes into white hot rage. And he goes, we're going to kill them all. And he loads up the chariots and he readies the army and he starts pursuing after Israel. And Israel to this point has been led by this pillar of smoke and fire all the way up to the banks of the Red Sea. Hear me, it's no accident that Israel is up against the Red Sea. God put them there. God brought them to that point for a reason. What was the reason? To once again show his glory over the Egyptians. It was to once again to show how awesome and how powerful and how mighty he is. And so God leads them to this, to this Red Sea moment. And all of a sudden you have Egypt now sneaking up behind them, coming up behind them. I just imagine like the dust of hundreds of chariots as they're being pursued. And, and you just got to love how Israel responds. It says, when Pharaoh drew near, starting in verse 10, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Gotta love the faith in this moment. <laughs> and, and listen, there are some of you, you've witnessed the miraculous things that God has done. And you're convinced that God's only gonna keep loving you if you just keep having faith for him. And can I just remind you this morning, saints, church, it's not because you were always faithful to God that he keeps loving you. The story over and over and over again is that even when we are faithless, he remains faithful, faithful. Why have you done this? Have you just brought us out here to die? It keeps going in, in verse 12. Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord 
see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. You have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward, lift your staff, stretch up your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know, hear the callback in the story now. And the Egyptians shall know that I am Yahweh, that I am the Lord, when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. There's this moment here where Israel has to almost choose again in faith. If you remember, there's two really like things that they are helpless against. They're helpless to keep the angel of death from passing over their house. They are dependent on the sacrifice of the lamb to let the angel pass over. Here again, they are helpless once again to escape from the Egyptian army. That even though they have been saved by God, even though in the Passover, if what you can picture is happening is the wrath of God is being diverted off of them. It's being diverted away from them. Everyone is guilty, remember. Everyone is deserving of the punishment of sin. But God, through the Passover lamb, through the, through the spilled blood of the lamb, it causes the wrath of God to move off of us so that we are seen now in the full righteousness of Christ. That is the moment where you're saved from God. This is the moment now at the Red Sea when you're saved from the enemy. This moment where it's, the, because you think about it, they're not totally free from Egypt at this point. They feel free. They've stepped out of Egypt. They've had the wrath of God diverted off of them, but Egypt is still after them. And so what they need is they need the defeat of the enemy. Does this sound familiar? That what Jesus does on the cross for us folks is what he, what he accomplishes there is the death to death itself. He defeats the enemy. He doesn't just deliver us from the enemy. He defeats the enemy. Did you hear that? He actually, he actually takes the enemy and swallows him in the Red Sea. Listen, now, and now we live in this, this already not yet tension. I, I absolutely, I, I talk about this all the time, that, that even though you and I have been, have been liberated from the bondage of sin, we will still choose it, will we not? Even though we have been set free from the enemy, he still will, he still will come after us at times. But what this moment pictures for us is the moment where death was dealt the crushing blow that Jesus gave death on the cross. We said, no, this is done. There is another promised land that I'm still taking us to. And even as we venture as pilgrims through the wilderness, trying to find our way, we are being led by the spirit of God. Their story physically represents exactly where we stand spiritually, where we have now been brought across the Red Sea Death has been defeated behind us. We might look back. We are out of Egypt now, but there still might be some Egypt in us where we look back and we wonder what that, if we should go back to that life that we used to have back there. But now Jesus is offering us this path. He's leading us by this pillar of smoke, pillar of fire. The spirit of God himself is giving us discernment and giving us direction as we wander through the wilderness until we finally one day get to go home and be with him forever and ever. Amen. So this story represents where we are spiritually. And if the, if the sacraments, the two things that we're given to commemorate this moment, you remember Israel was given a meal. Well, you know, if you can do a Seder meal at some point, you absolutely should. There's so much that you can learn from doing a Seder meal, but we don't celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Passover in the same way today, do we? Maybe some of you do. Maybe some of you have that meal every single year. Most of us don't. 
But what we do have, we have two things. We have communion, where we come to the Lord's table and we do this in remembrance of what Jesus has done for us, that he willingly, out of love, broke his body and spilled his blood for us, that we are no longer aliens or strangers, but we are now adopted sons and daughters of the King. And he's brought us in to continue us forward in faith until we get to be with him for forever. That's, this is what we remember at communion, that because of Jesus' payment alone, we have this right, this ability now to stand in his presence. This is what, this, listen, this is why we make a big deal about communion, that you, you have to be a believer to take communion uh, because we're not just we're not just eating a random piece of bread and drinking a random uh, cup of juice. We're literally tethering our moment because as much as salvation is about me being saved individually, it is so much more than that too. It's about us being saved as a people. And we come to this table once a month, we come to this table and we, we pull the history of what happened at the first Passover and we pull that in and we also cast our mind forward to the wedding supper of the lamb when we get to feast with him finally and forevermore. And we pull both those moments into this moment and we remember what Jesus has done for us. It's communion. We're given communion. We're also given baptism. We're given believers baptism. Now it's important to note, there are three kinds of baptisms explained in your Bible. There's the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which I don't have the time for this morning. But Kent did do a whole message on that. If you're interested, if you're curious, if you want to know what's up with these charismatic people, go back and watch Kent's message that he did in January on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I don't have enough time. Wish I did. Uh, I'll, I'll leave you with this. If the Holy Spirit has more for you in your life, don't you want it? Don't you want it? Go back and listen to that message if you need to. Then we have uh, baptism by water, which we do about quarterly, every few months here. And if you've never done it, I would just encourage you, you should get baptized. If you've been following Jesus now for 30 years and you've never been baptized, you should be baptized. Jesus himself was baptized. Every believer that we see in the New Testament is also baptized. We have water baptism, but water baptism is just an external representation, a demonstration to the people of God of an inward reality of the baptism into Christ. So that's the third. We have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, baptism into water, immersion into water, and then we have the baptism into the people of God. We read about this all over the New Testament in Romans. Romans, is it chapter six, Doug? Romans chapter six, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were baptized into his death, immersed into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father, we too might walk in the newness of life. This is why we would say we're born again Christians. Nicodemus really had his mind blown when Jesus said, you've got to be born again, right? He's like, am I supposed to crawl back up into my mother's womb? And it's like, are you crazy? What are you talking about? It's that we have participated in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That is what it means to be a Christian. If you are following after him, if you have, if you have acknowledged your sin, pled that he would save you in faith that he's there, that he's been resurrected from the dead, you have now been baptized into Christ. Galatians, Paul writes it this way. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. He then goes on to say, there is now therefore no separation. There's no delineation between any of us. We all stand before God in the same way, a part of the same family, a part of a people, a part of a nation, part of a priesthood of saints. That's all of us that have been baptized into Christ. And I just love the way that 
oh, in 1 Corinthians, we have another one. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews, Greeks, slaves, free. We were all made to drink of one spirit. And then Acts 22, 18, for some of you who are maybe on the fence about getting baptized, uh, it's funny, we've been talking about this. A lot of people, after they get baptized here, they walk down the stairs on this side and they say to Steph, who's, who just took their video of them getting baptized, they go, I'm just surprised with how wet I got. And I just, I think that's funny. Of course, you're going to get wet. We believe in believer's baptism by immersion. We don't sprinkle. So you're going to be immersed. Is your hair going to get messed up? Yeah, it is. We'll give you a shirt. We'll give you a new shirt. Like, are you going to need a towel? Absolutely. But how silly to make all these reasons not to get baptized for all these little practical details that just really don't matter. You're in front of your church family. Go into the water if you haven't gotten baptized. We're going to do it again in January. And I hope that there's some of you who said, I was on the fence for so long. And really, if I could be honest, it was a fear of man that kept me out of that water. But if you are in Christ spiritually, then you should demonstrate that physically. It's not required to go to heaven. You don't have to do this to go to, that's not what we're talking about today, but it is a powerful moment in your life where you stand in front of your church family and you, are, you will say, I am participating in the death, burial, and resurrection. I have been made new. Amen? Acts twenty two sixteen. And now why do you wait? Rise up, be baptized, wash away your sins, and call on his name. Amen. Um, I want to go back before we take communion to, to one moment in this Exodus story, because I think as we take communion, we're going to take a little bit longer time in communion today. And I actually, hey, listen, I, I'm having a little celebratory moment. I did it. I finished on time. Praise the Lord. No, don't do that. You'll just encourage more next time. Okay. We have open communion, which means you do not have to be a member of our church. We, that's not how we approach it. We just say, if you are participating in what this really is, please come and participate that this is you acknowledging that Jesus broke his body and shed his blood for you. And, and what I want to, you know, since we have time, <laughs> Romans chapter eight, Romans chapter eight. I want to read this over the believers in the room today. Romans. Oh, in first Corinthians, that's why it didn't, it wasn't there. Don't worry. It's there. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? I, I just wonder if Paul, as he was writing this, if he pictured himself up against the Red Sea. Who, what shall separate us? What shall separate us? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height or depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. As you approach the table today, would you just let your heart be reminded of that? That there is nothing that can separate you from Jesus Christ, our Lord. The love of God, there's, there's no obstacle that is too big. They were up against an ocean and God's like, listen, I'll open it. I don't know spiritually what you're up against right now that feels too big to conquer right now. But you need to be reminded this morning that in Jesus, you are more than a conqueror in Christ. Like would, would that boldness go with us today as we walk out of this room? 
would we be stirred up by way of reminder that no, I, I can handle whatever it is that's in front of me because I am more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus because of his love for me. That's the reminder for the believer in the room. The encouragement that I have um, for the rest of you is this moment in Exodus 14. In Exodus 14, Doug, if you can throw it back up for me. Uh, verses 11 and 12. They said to Moses, it's because there were no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness. And, and I, as I sat on that verse this week, I think what I was reminded of is that I think there are some people who have maybe witnessed God's power, but they're unwilling to walk into his freedom. So bear with me for just a second, because as Americans, we're so sure that freedom is just being able to do whatever we want to do, right? Don't tell me what I ought to do because I'm an American and I can do whatever I want to do. That's a kind of freedom for sure. Um, and it's, it's one that should be fought for, I think, and preserved. But a greater freedom, Paul says a greater freedom is to be given yourself over to the spirit of God to be led wherever he wants to take you. And in that is true freedom is what he explains to us in Galatians. That if I'm just left to my own flesh to do whatever it is that I want to do, I'm really bound to my flesh. I'm not bound to the spirit of God, but the spirit of God is always going to lead me into deeper levels of life. And so I just wonder if there's some of us spiritually where we just need to take this step onto the dry ground of the Red Sea. Because what you got to think of for Israel in this moment is they're, they're having a hard time uh, pulling apart the thought of this life that they knew and they were comfortable with in Egypt, even though it was terrible. And there's some of you that keep, you, you're keeping one eye back on Egypt and you're keeping one eye back on how life used to be. Or maybe you're here this morning and you just, you, you're not a Christian because you think that you're better at driving your life than you are. And really what you're saying is you're, you're unwilling to surrender to the cloud, this pillar of smoke and fire that's gonna lead you where? You don't know. You don't know. It's gonna lead you somewhere good, you've been told, but you can't see it yet. And so you're on the shore, hesitating to step in because you're, you think that you're a better God for your life than God is. And that's a bold claim. It's a bold claim. And I think the invitation today, as, as we're gonna take communion, I just wanna say this could be your very first communion this morning. That if you would just sit in your seat and acknowledge Jesus for who he is and what he's done, and you would acknowledge that you've been a sinful person, that you've messed up, you've missed the mark that you know that you're deserving of death, but instead God has lavished out his grace. You could come up and you can participate in communion this morning as you acknowledge Jesus as Lord and Savior. And you come and you participate in this sacrament that we have to remind us, to stir us up by way of remembrance, to know what he's done for us. Amen. I just, I just think it's totally possible that there's somebody right now and you're just saying, man, I haven't, I haven't had that decision yet. Even though if you could be honest, looking back, you've seen God do some pretty incredible things, but you haven't yet stepped into the freedom that he wants to lead you into. And I just wanna invite you into it this morning. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I ask for boldness and for willingness this morning to really accept your word as true, that we could be more than conquerors because of who you are, Jesus, and what you've done. God, I pray that we would embrace the righteousness that's been given to us by you, Jesus, and that we would be fierce worshipers in your name, that we would love you fiercely, that we would pursue you fiercely. God, I pray that, I pray that this morning, maybe there'd be a spirit of passivity or complacency that would die in some of the saints in the room. And I pray that you'd call us into deeper life this morning. 
And God, for some people who are on the edge of their seat, who have maybe watched a lot of the things that you've done, but they've, they've neglected to get in and to follow you because they're scared. I pray that you would meet them in that moment and you would draw them in this morning. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, there's tables in the balcony, tables in the back, tables in the front. As your heart is ready, come grab communion. Uh, we're not going to all receive it together. So you can say a prayer on your own with the person you're with. You receive communion as your heart is ready this morning. Amen. Amen.